My name is Edril Cyril, and I have the honor of reading the Bible to you, Acts chapter 1, 1 through 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit, the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for my gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes to you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And he said this, He was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking up into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. This is the word of God. Good morning. It's great to be with you. Uh, Ezra, thanks for reading. Denise and Eric, thanks for sharing as well. Um, if, if, uh, if you haven't noticed, we uh, uh, place a really high value on scripture, and obviously we open it every week. We gather together and are calling ourselves to be a people, to be a church that uh, is regularly in scripture. And so for some of us, that's a new experience, something that we're, we're learning, um, getting familiar with. Uh, it's really, I, I, so I've been reading out of uh, what Denise titled a paper Bible. Um, so I think, I think that's, I, like this is a paper Bible. Some of you have paper Bibles in, with you. Um, so if you have a paper Bible, that's what I've been reading. And I've, I've shared this a number of times over the last couple of years that reading um, th- this one that I was gifted, it, it, it's actually hardback and it's got, it, there's four volumes and the pages are not normal Bible pages. They're like, if this is paper, it's cardboard pages. And uh, I've really enjoyed reading that. There's no chapter title, that kind of thing. And um, I, was, I was gone on sabbatical in the fall when we started this one that we're, this Bible reading plan that we're wrapping up. And so I felt very left out and I'm finishing mine and gonna start um, on this new one on October 1 and really looking forward to that. And apparently there's a whole lot of, um, I'm, I'm gonna also guard to not be motivated by competition. Um, so I don't know if any of you feel that kind of that tug that I can win Bible reading. Um, and so that was not intended to be, that wasn't like a gold, silver, bronze that we just awarded there. That was um, just people that have been impacted by meeting God through scripture this last year. And um, so, yeah, as, uh, and also just want to say again, uh, uh, today is a uh, very, very bittersweet day uh, at the end of our gathering about 15 
20 minutes afterwards, we're uh, gonna gather downstairs to celebrate two really significant people in the life of Mosaic. And so uh, Kim Harris and Phil Emery have been long, long time pastors in our midst. Both have uh, grown up in ministry and become pastors in our midst and are transitioning to other things. And so we're both uh, grieving the loss of their influence and presence with us in the roles that they have been in. Um, and then trying, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, trying my best to celebrate what God has opened up for them next. And um, so uh, please be a part of that. Uh, uh, there is pie and, and coffee, but don't come just for that. Come to, to honor them and to celebrate them uh, and to pray for and, and with them uh, after our gathering today. I want to invite you to do this. Would you pray with me? And then we're going we're gonna to open up scripture and walk through what Ezra just read as we start uh, in this series in the book of Acts. God, we, uh, we want to be aware of being in your midst, um, that this is not just a, a building that we've walked into uh, or even a screen that we're watching from home or sometime later, but that as we, as we are here, that we have, we have moved into your presence in a, in a new and different way. And so, God, would you make us aware of that? As we go through our weeks, our day of each week, as we come through the weekend, as we come to this moment right now, would, would you make yourself known to us in a no, new way? As we sing and declare who you are and what you've done, as we look to your word, as we hear how you're speaking and working in people's lives, as we look around, would we be aware that, that you are present in this world today, you're present in this room, and you're present in this moment, and that you are the God of the universe who knows, you know each and every one of us. And Holy Spirit, as we've already invited you to work and to move in this place, to fill this place, would you do that work even now? especially as we're reading your story. In the book of Acts, as we read about how you work and that you come in power, would we get a new vision and a new understanding and a new experience of you working in each of our lives and the life of our church and the life of this city? And Jesus, would you speak to us today and would we hear your voice and no one else's? Would you help us to, to block out any other noise or thoughts, and to hear truth from you, and would it shape us? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Um, it could be like a, uh, uh, like a, a planet that was destroyed, or, uh, or some kind of genetic mutation, or uh, parents who were murdered, or a power-giving wizard. Do you know what those all are? Besides weird and sad, origin stories. Every superhero has an origin story. There's a story of some kind of unique events that happened that have shaped who they have become and define why they are unique. Uh, uh, Superman comes from a, a destroyed planet. You know, planet blew up and he, he lands in a, I think in a cornfield somewhere on a new planet, on our planet. Um, Batman, his parents are murdered and it shapes who he becomes. 
Uh, Spider-Man's a genetic mutation because he got bitten uh, on a field trip at a museum by a spider. I don't know what the wizard one is, or I forget. Every superhero has this origin story that defines and explains why they're, why they're unique, why they're not like other people, why they're a superhero. And one of the defining things of a superhero, and I'm, I'm not, I, I didn't collect comic books and as a kid, I, I'm not like well-versed in this. I don't, I'm not an expert in any way. I watch uh, superhero movies because my boys make me or people say they're cool. I, like, this isn't like a genre that I, I know a lot about. So forgive me if I don't have all the expertise that some of you have and you wish I would stop talking because you know so much more. But superheroes, part of what is super, they, they have some kind of power. They have some kind of power that makes them absolutely unique to, to either save or destroy, right? They're powerful in some way. And the origin stories and comic book sellers have, uh, over the, the decades have rewritten them and added and changed and brought out new nuance so they can keep selling and, and entertain people. And, and certainly as, as movies come out about superheroes, it's where it often starts. It might be in a flashback or it might be the very beginning of the movie, but it tells the origin story of how a superhero became unique and different, how they got their identity, how they were transformed from what they were before how they have some kind of unique power. We're starting in the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is the origin story that defines how somebody got their power and what makes them different. Luke is a book in the, in the Bible, Matthew, Mark. Luke is the third, third book. It's one of the four Gospels. The next book is John. Luke is the origin story of Jesus. It tells us who Jesus is, where he came from, and all that. Certainly the whole of Scripture does that, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John do this that uniquely. Luke, we've spent the last almost two years in. It's the origin story of Jesus, who he is, why he is powerful, how he could conquer death and rise again. Acts is the origin story of the church. This, this is our story. But it's a story that reveals and explains and tells how it is that we got our power, where our power comes from. Now, as I say that, it's really easy to go, I, we, I don't feel powerful. We don't seem very powerful. If you looked around us, if you looked at the, the, the trajectory of our nation, if we looked at the trajectory of our city, where, where is the power that the Bible talks about? We're going to talk about that. It's the origin story of the people who have followed Jesus and have become his church for some 2,000 years. Our image is in the image of a, for this series is a, is a dove, if you couldn't tell. We can see that this is a dove. The dove is the image of the Holy Spirit. And we read about in, in, in the Gospels in Luke that, uh, that the Holy Spirit came down on Jesus when he was baptized in the form of a, of a dove. But our dove is made up of, of little figures, because it's a story of the church, of the people of God, of you and I. The people make up the church. Church is not a building, we know this. It's a community, it's a family that has been birthed over and over and over again, reborn, reborn over time and grows and multiplies and sends out and planted and launched and for 2,000 years. It's really, really important that we understand where our power comes from because Jesus wants to do something through me and through you. For 2,000 years, Jesus has been working through his church, through his body. We see that described in scripture. We're the body of Christ. We're, we're Christ present in the world today. And he's wanting to do something through us that we, in our own power, in our own humanity, in our own human strength, cannot accomplish. And so we're going to do the work of going back and finding out what is it, where does our power come from? What is it that makes us powerful? 
And how, by God's grace, could that happen in us specifically at this time, at this point in history, at this part of the globe right now? As we start this origin story, we're answering the question, why would God, through Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, make us powerful? It's to accomplish something that we cannot accomplish in our own. And Luke gets to it right off the bat. Luke wrote the book of Luke, and then he writes the book of Acts. They're kind of two parts together. There's a whole explanation of why when we read through the Bible, John's in between those. We don't need to get into that right now. But Luke wrote Luke, and Luke wrote Acts. And so it starts this way in verse 1. In my former book, he's talking about Luke, Theophilus. He's talking to his friend Theophilus, and Luke, he calls him most excellent. He probably was an authority figure of some kind. He's a real person, not a fictitious person. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Jesus suffered, was crucified, buried in a tomb, stone rolled in front of it. Miraculously, the stone was rolled away. Jesus Christ resurrected. His body that was dead came back to life and walked out of the grave. He did some stuff, but then he spent 40 days hanging out with those of his best friends, his family, his community, those men and women that he had invested in, trained, discipled for a mission. There was something that, that, that they were, he was doing this for. Jesus spent 40 days, and it says he, he spent 40 days with them hanging out, convincing them that he was alive, and some of them got that right away. Others, it took a little while. One dude had to actually put his, his hand in his wound that Jesus had in the side of him. I was doubting Thomas. But they came around, they went, okay, Jesus is really alive. He's not a ghost. This isn't just some, something I'm, I'm seeing, an apparition of some sign. This is really, physically, Jesus rose from the dead and he's alive, hanging out with us. But it says he talked about the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus had been talking about the kingdom of God for some time. That's largely what Jesus talked about. He talked about the kingdom of God, but in these 40 days, it says specifically, he kind of finished the training and the instruction on the kingdom of God so that his disciples, the men and women, the men that we know by name, there were some other women hanging out. There was a group of between 70 and 120 that were, were hanging out with him in this time. And he says, I want, you to, I want to make sure that you understand the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God, kingdom of God, kingdom of God, over and over and over. So he says, this is what. We have that in some of our songs. We read that as we read through the New Testament. I want to make sure that we have some, at least an initial understanding of what Jesus was talking about. We can summarize it in some way. Here's, here's just three quick things that I think are really helpful to keep in mind to know when you think of the kingdom of God. What is the, this is the thing that Jesus talked about more than anything else. This is what he was focused on. The kingdom of God, three, three things. One, one easy way, it's the, it's the rule and reign of God. I mean, you think of a king, you think of a kingdom. It's the rule and reign of God. It's, it's where God is reigning and ruling. Now, God has created everything. It says that he holds the whole world in his hand. That God is over and above everything. He's created everything. He holds it all together. He sustains it, it tells us in Ephesians, through Jesus Christ. Like God's doing all of that all the time. But we see and experience his rule and reign in certain ways. Another way to say it, I, this is a quote from Dallas Willard. I love how he says this. The kingdom of God is where God's, what God wants done is done. So if you're a manager, if you're a boss of any kind, if you have a business, um, if you are a, a parent at home in any way, you have a position of authority. That is demonstrated, that is engaged when what you want done is done. 
If you're a parent, you know when your child is doing as they are supposed to do. And then you know when your kingdom shatters and crumbles and you have no effective reign of anything and your kid is out of control running wild. You are not ruling and reigning in that moment. What you want done is not done in that moment. And so you can see very clearly where your kingdom exists in your parenting realm and where it does not. Jesus was talking about bringing more of God's will into this world. And so when Jesus talks about things like peace, when he talks about things like justice, when he calls his followers to be kind and forgiving and gracious and gentle, he's talking about what the the kingdom of God looks like in our human existence, where God's values, where God's character is experienced between humans we see a glimpse of his kingdom. Jesus wants more of that in this world. That's what Jesus was teaching about. That's what he was talking about. This, this is the thing that is not possible for a sustained, significant amount of time with significant impact in our human power. We can't do it. We can't read Jesus' words, band together, link arms, say we're the church, and we're a bunch of men and women who are really smart and bright and intelligent. We can go and bring this to the city around us, to the world around us. It's just never worked. Jesus is saying, I want more of my kingdom in this world. But humans, you, you can't do it on your own. And so if the kingdom is the, the rule and reign of God, it's, it's what God wants done is done. And the last thing is that it's inaugurated by Jesus, that Jesus started it. He kicked it off. That's why early on in the Gospel of uh, Mark, Jesus says the words, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. He literally means it's like you can reach it. So what's at hand? The things that you can reach. This book is at hand because I can reach out, touch it. Jesus is talking with his disciples. He says, the kingdom of God is right here. And why is it right there? Jesus is saying, because he's right there. Jesus comes and he inaugurates. He, start, he kicks it off. He starts it. He says, here it is. It's just in a little glimpse right now because I'm just one person walking around. But when I go to the cross and suffer, when I'm crucified, buried, I'm going to conquer death and rise again, and then I'm going to start sharing it, and more of the kingdom is going to come out, and it's going to come out through the power of the Holy Spirit through, through the church. Jesus is bringing the kingdom and his chosen way. And again, we've said this over and over and over again. Isn't there another way he could have done this? Like most of us, not all of us, but most of us are pretty messed up. We have character flaws. We have a lot of growing up to do. Life is hard and challenging for me. Like, couldn't he just like, like just snap his fingers and, and make it happen? Couldn't he just do something and, and, and that is way beyond all of us? But he, he relies on us as human beings, as flawed people, and he puts us together in these communities, and we have to figure out how to do that. And then he says, I'm going to do something that is way beyond what you can do. I'm going to bring change into this world through you as my people. Jesus chooses this way. He says, I'm going to bring about the kingdom of God. Verse 4 says this. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. He commands them, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom 
to Israel. So follow what happens here. Uh, Jesus says, uh, I'm going to give you a command. Go, go stay in Jerusalem, which where they had been staying was kind of this upper room, this apartment. So they went back to that. He says, stay there. Don't go anywhere. I know you're confused. I know you're, um, especially when I like float up to the clouds in a moment here, this is going to really freak you out. But stay in Jerusalem until the gift that I promised comes, which is, is the Holy Spirit. And he says, what's going to happen is you're going you're gonna to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, they were familiar with baptism because John had been baptizing with water and was a word they used and they knew what it meant. And baptized technically means, if you define the word, it means to, to, to be dunked or immersed in water. That's, that's what baptism means. So John had been doing that. John had been teaching this message about repentance. And people had been coming to the river and, and dunking them in the water and bringing them out. And so, so they understood what baptism is. He says, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not a river. And so you're not going to go under, like be dunked in the Holy Spirit. There's going to be this experience and they didn't quite know what it meant. Later on, Paul says later on in the New Testament, he says that you've been baptized, we've all been baptized with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Just get a little bit repetitive. But what you get the sense of is like there's this, that it, it, it floods over you. It affects you in some way. That it comes on you. That it's, it's unmistakable. That it's real. That people testify and have their, they can witness to what they felt and experienced. He says that's going to happen to you. And they didn't quite understand what that meant. But they knew he had earlier said that there was power that was going to come. See, in Luke uh, chapter 24, right at the end of Luke, the disciples would have already heard this. Verse 49, I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So the disciples all of a sudden put this together. We're going to get power and it's going to be from God. It's going to be on high. And then Jesus later says, as we read in Acts, that, that that power is the Holy Spirit, and it's going to come on you. So stay in Jerusalem, because there's going to be power given to you, and that's going to be from the Holy Spirit. And what the disciples do, here's where they go. Their next question reveals where they go in their mind and their heart. They go, oh, we're staying in Jerusalem. Okay, and then we're going to get power and if this is power on high, this is power from God, this is the Holy Spirit, we're going to get baptized with this, we then, what, are powerful. We'll stay in Jerusalem for that, because if we get powerful in Jerusalem, we can assert our independence again. We no longer are ruled by another ethnic group, another people. The Romans will not be as powerful as us, Holy Spirit-empowered disciples. This is awesome. We're on board. And so they asked Jesus, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? We're going to read in a minute how Jesus responds to that, um, but he's, he's not super pleased with them. He's not handing out A pluses, okay? He's not like graduating them. He's not commending them. The language here is very particular. Are you going to restore? Restore has this um, political sense to it. The actual word there in the original language has a political sense in it and a territory that goes along with it. So when you talk about restoring something, you're talking about a, a human political power in a, in a space, in a land and which for them is, is Israel. And so when they said Israel, they're talking about their nation, their people, their ethnicity. Are you going to give us political power in this physical land over every other type of person? And are you gonna do it at this time? Meaning, give me right now. That's where the disciples are. So let's rewind the tape just a little bit. Jesus, for three years, 
has been demonstrating this power of the kingdom, of bringing God's peace, justice, kindness, gentleness, love into this world and giving them glimpses of it. This is the kingdom. Then he spends 40 days in lectures with them over and over and over. I mean, they were on the beach and they were going for walks in the garden and that kind of thing. But he's telling them, this is the kingdom, this is the kingdom, this is the kingdom. And then he says, you're gonna get the power for the kingdom. And they're like, give me power over the Romans. Like, I have to believe that Jesus rolled his eyes, if not did something worse. Like, you, you gotta be kidding me. What, have I demonstrated anything of that? Did I climb down off the cross and grab the spear of the guy that just stabbed me in the side and stab him in the face? No, like that's not what this is about. I'm not, where do you guys get this? Like, go back and start over the lectures or something. They didn't get it. When we think about the kingdom, when we dream about the kingdom, when we get in line with what scripture calls us to, to care about, to be compelled by, to hope for, to pray for, to work for, more of Jesus's kingdom coming in this world. It's not so that we can be powerful over another person. It's not that. It's that God's rule and reign would come into this world, that where God's will would be done and we would be able to see it and celebrate it and participate it and taste it and live it. It would... It'd be that we would know that Jesus is at work in this world because what he started is continuing on. There's this other part of the kingdom that Jesus wants them to know. And it's that the kingdom of God is greater than, is greater than my kingdom. The kingdom that I want. The kingdom that I can accomplish in my own power. The kingdom that I fantasize about and dream about the kingdom that I can attain with my resources is not as great as the kingdom of God. This is a battle of the will that had not yet been surrendered by the disciples yet. That their instinct, their go-to was, great, more for me, gimme. That's what he was, that's what they went to immediately. What is it for us? When we think of God coming in power, is it the things that God wants to do and accomplish or is it the things that would make us more comfortable, more satisfied? Does our will still compete and battle against God's? Do we know of areas in our life where we're resisting surrendering to what God might want to do? We live in a world today. We live in a a culture and a, and a mindset where we're told in so many different and creative and nuanced ways that what is right here at any given moment is the center of the universe. What I desire, what I feel, what I want trumps everything and everyone else. And that is not unlike the disciples. And if you need to give yourself a little bit of grace, I love somebody said earlier, like when you're reading scripture and you can't keep up, like you miss a day or two, give yourself grace. Like, oh, what a great way to experience the good news. I'm just gonna plan on that. I'm not gonna read tomorrow and then I'm gonna give myself grace the next day. Like, if you realize there's, there's a way in my heart that I'm battling what God wants for me, give yourself a little grace to know that those that walked closest with Jesus did the exact same thing, that their instinct was for their own plan and their own agenda, 
rather than his. And they, who had already seen him rise from the dead, be resurrected and hang out and eat with them, they still struggled with their own desires. And he's calling them to, no, 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 no. That's not my agenda. My agenda is to bring my Father's kingdom into this world more and more. I'm gonna use you, you still growing, still developing disciples. I'm gonna use you. But you don't have the power of yourself to accomplish it, so I'm gonna give you the Holy Spirit because you need the Holy Spirit. Jesus answers their, they're revealed, when their hearts were revealed, we want Israel to be powerful again over the Romans. We want Jews to be more powerful than Romans, which there's so much of that, actually, we don't have time for this today, but to think about how many, I mean, we, one, if, if there's one like, uh, I don't even, I, I hesitate to even call this like a, a perk, but maybe we can call it a perk, of being an urban church in Portland is that like the idea of Christian nationalism, like that, like that doesn't even get like a spark of airplay right here, right? Like that just, if you start like spinning those ideas in the urban core of Portland, like you just kind of be quickly like moved out to Sandy or somewhere. Like, I don't know where, like, I don't, and that's, that's no shade. I don't know. I, like I've only driven through. I don't know anything, okay? That, sorry, if you drove in from Sandy today, if you're listening from Sandy, Jesus loves you. I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not quoting, I don't know anything. I shouldn't have said that. Main Street over there, I don't know. Like, but this is, this is where they went. Like we think that is such a bizarre and, 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 and weird thing that there are followers of Jesus that are reading the same book that we're reading in different parts of our state and our country who come up with ideas that, we're going to put a, an American flag on the stage of our church and we're going we're gonna to talk about America getting to some place that it is, it's like, it, it's, it's synonymous with, it mirrors, it's equal to the kingdom of God. Like, that's not happening, folks. I'm sorry. Like, it didn't happen there and Jesus was with them. Like, those are like the first issued best disciples and it didn't happen there. Like, that's, that's not this land and this territory and this political regime. That, that's not happening. But, you can see how people would get there. Because, oh man, if I, can, if I can leverage my power and my vote and my influence and my social media messaging, then we can tilt the things and we can fix this land and make it really good and then the kingdom will be here and man, my life will be so much better. Because where the kingdom of God is, my life is better. That part's true. It's not gonna happen through the systems of this world. And we're gonna see that over and over and over again as we work through this origin story of where our power as a church comes from. Here's Jesus' response. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has sent by his own authority, but you will receive power. Here it is. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is so gracious. He's so good. Like they, they, they failed the test. They, they, they completely whiffed, which that's part of the fun of reading the gospels is you just see these men fall on their face over and over and over. And Jesus goes, nope, I'm gonna use you. I'm gonna forgive you. I'm gonna extend kindness and grace to you. I'm gonna confront you, but we're gonna work forward from this. And he says, no, you're still getting the power of the Holy Spirit. It's gonna come on you. 
and you've heard all of my teaching and all of my instruction, and you still, you don't quite get it all, but the power of the Spirit's going to come on you. And it's for a task that you can't do by yourself. And he calls it being witnesses. You are going to be my witnesses. And you actually can't do this in your own power. Some of us, we walk through our weeks, and we see those that live down the hall from us, and we see those that live a couple houses away, and we work with coworkers, and we know our managers and our bosses and those that we manage and those that we lead. And we look at them and we know that they're far from Jesus. And our heart goes out to them. But then we think, I, 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 how do I do? I can't be the one. Maybe, maybe somebody else. Maybe they'll hear something. Maybe they'll, call, they'll say, you are such a, a pure and glorious and kind person. What makes you so different? And then you can go, okay, I love Jesus. Will you follow Jesus and come to church with me? Like, we question, how is it that we are to be the witnesses, that we are to tell the story of who Jesus is? I wonder if we could give ourselves enough grace to be open to the idea that there's much of the power of the Holy Spirit that we have not experienced. And if we long for that and open ourselves up to that and pray for it and pursue the Holy Spirit, that maybe something would change in us and we would feel that sense of baptism and fullness and God would begin to work through us. Let me give you a history lesson real quick, and, and we're almost done. We're winding down, but I think this is really important, so stay with me as we breathe, just breeze through history really quick here. We're going we're gonna to look next week at, at some amazing verses in the book of, of Acts that talk about the Holy Spirit coming in power. Jesus is foretelling it here. We're going to read it next week. Since that time, 2,000 years have gone, about... Two centuries after what we'll read next week, two centuries later, the focus and the emphasis on the Holy Spirit for the church was something, this fancy theological term called sanctification, holy living. How do we become more holy people? The church was focused on how does the Holy Spirit help me say no to sinful desires and say yes to Jesus more and more? That was the focus of the Holy Spirit. So when the church talked about and celebrated and wrote songs and taught about the Holy Spirit, it was, it was focused on holy living and another thing called who's an apostle and who's not kind of a thing, which holy living. Moved down in history about 13, 1400 years. The focus on the Holy Spirit, primarily through leaders like Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, but where Martin Luther King got his name from, Martin Luther, Protestant reformer, leaves the Catholic Church because the Catholic Church was so corrupted and got Scripture wrong so much. But the focus on the Holy Spirit then was interpreting, understanding, and proclaiming the Bible. Those are good things, holy living, necessary, how to be distinct in the world. We need the Holy Spirit's power in our life, leading in our lives, how to, how to demonstrate the gifts and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's needed. 1,400 years later in the Protestant Reformation, how to understand Scripture because the Catholic priests had, had kept it in their walls and only they could have it. And you and I as a church in those years could not have the Bible. But then it came to the people and we all could read it. And so the Holy Spirit was needed to understand it and read it and interpret it and then declare it, to proclaim it, to teach it. Those are good things. In the 20th century, in the 1900s, another shift began to happen. 
and the emphasis on the Holy Spirit move from just holy living and from understanding and teaching scripture to the mission of the church, of you and I, men and women who know Jesus who are empowered by the Holy Spirit, being witnesses wherever God places us. The Holy Spirit began to do that and the church began to emphasize that and prioritize that. You know what's interesting? I think all of that's interesting. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But this is our age now. This is where we find ourselves, that we need the Holy Spirit to empower us to be on mission as witnesses wherever we find ourselves, wherever he places us. That movement started to happen with a renewed focus and study of the book of Luke and the book of Acts, of Luke's writings. As we move through the book of Acts, we're gonna see how the Holy Spirit is the power in and through us to bring more of God's kingdom into the world, to be agents for him and for his kingdom. And how has that happened? And here, there is this sense of when Jesus says in Jerusalem, right where you are, in Judea and Samaria, which is these outer kind of next ring out, and then to the ends of the earth. And it, it ends up being like a, um, an outline for the book of Acts as we'll move through. Chapters one through seven are in Jerusalem. Chapters eight through 11 are Judea and Samaria. And then after chapter 11, through the end of the book of Acts, it's to the ends of the earth, which at that time was Rome. But it's this movement of God working out and the radical unexpected things that happen when the Holy Spirit is giving room to work. When you and I as followers of Jesus become dependent on and longing for the Holy Spirit, that we as a church are called to grow in this, in this next season. How is it that we actually experience more of the Holy Spirit? One of the things that we'll find as we look at the first church is that it mixed really well, well, let's call something like objective teaching and truth and subjective experience. And my guess is that each and every one of us gravitate towards one or the other of those. But the first church married these two things of Jesus' teaching, of the apostles' teaching, it was so important to know what the gospel is, what the kingdom is, what is true, but also to be open to this, this thing called the baptism of the Spirit. That is wild. What is it? That, that, that doesn't feel safe. That feels a little out of control. And without that, the church is stuck. But with it, we find God doing miraculous, unexpected things. One of the ways that we want to step in to being open to God speaking to us and working through us in the spirit, speaking us and working through us in new ways is simply by praying. In the next few verses, it says that the disciples went back to their place, their apartment, their upper room, and they just spent time praying together. And it lists out all of them. There's 11 of them left. Judas had, had ended his life after he betrayed Jesus. There's 11 of them left. And then it, it lists the women that are there too. And they're praying together. We're gonna pray starting next Sunday for a week solid. I, uh, I, I, need to, I need to tell you something. Or, um, I, I have not signed up for my hours yet, so I just need to put that out there. So if you look on the, the schedule for that week, you'll not see my name. Um, I'm not one of the anonymouses. I'm, that's, I'm just confessing that. Um, so I'm gonna sign up uh, tomorrow. I looked this morning at our schedule, and so after looking through and glancing through all the names of those of you that have signed up already, I, I want to I ask something. If you're a man, would you sign up for an hour or more in that week? The women are killing us. 
there are so many women who have already signed up and taken like multiple hours together. And so, um, men, will you sign up for a week? I'm gonna sign up by tomorrow, okay? I, I'm here working a lot of the week. I, like, I, I can take a lot of different hours. You have schedules, you have responsibilities. Make it a priority to say, I'm gonna take one or multiple hours in the week between September 24th and October 1st to drive myself here and walk into this room and spend an hour alone with God, asking that the Holy Spirit would empower me in a new way. Let that be our theme for this week, that we would be empowered by the Holy Spirit in a new way. So men, go sign up. It's not a competition, but it's a competition. It's an opportunity for us to serve and to lead by giving up our time, making it a priority, fitting it into our schedule. Let me give you another option. If you are married, that you actually say, honey, we're gonna sign up for this hour. And you actually just initiate that and start that. Be prepared to hear, oh, I've already signed up for three hours, but that's something between you two. And so this is one way that the spirit will continue or begin to work in a new way. And it's that we just simply say, Let's pray. We're going to talk about other ways in the, in the coming weeks. Um, I've gone way long. We're going to come to the table together. So the band's going to come. As we start this journey through our origin story of where our power comes from, that it is not in anything that we can do on our own, but it comes from us taking our will and laying it down and saying, Jesus, you lived, died, were buried, and conquered death and rose again. And that is the only reason I have hope grace, forgiveness, and salvation in this life, would you send your spirit into my heart and mind to continue to transform me into your witness in this world? Jesus, as we come to your table this morning, we ask that you and your spirit would meet us in this moment. Would we have a, a tasteable, tangible sense that you are alive and work in this world today and in this space and in this time and, and in each and every one of us. And as we come, would it be a, a confession to say we again are laying down our lives and trusting you, asking for forgiveness, being forgiven, and then being sent forward. And so as we take the juice that represents your blood shed for us and the little cracker that represents your body broken. Would you meet us in this moment right here and right now?